Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you guys. As Ronnie said, we're in week two of our Fight Right series where we're talking about resolving everyday conflict. Um, and last week, Matt kicked things off uh, by talking about the tension that he experiences and that his family experiences when they try to do family dinner. And I'm sure many of you identified with that. I totally identified with that. And it reminded me of a story of probably the most tense moment I have ever experienced in family dinner. It was about, I don't know how many years ago, several years ago, my family was on vacation. We were at my parents' house and we were sitting down to dinner and uh, we have this rule at our house that, you know, no matter what's on your plate, you've got to try at least one bite of everything. No matter what, if, even if you don't like it, you've got to try a bite. And so broccoli was on the menu that night <clears throat> and um, my, one of my sons hates broccoli, just hates it. And so uh, my with my dad being there, I wanted to show my dad what a good parent I was, and so I was like, no, son, you need to, you need to eat your broccoli. It's important that you eat your broccoli. It's healthy and all that. Um, <clears throat> and so I gave him a cup of water, and I said, just, just kind of eat the broccoli real quick and, and have this water. You can wash it down. And so <clears throat> he, takes the, he eats the broccoli, starts chewing it up, and he goes to swallow it, and he sort of does this, like, gag, burp uh, uh, thing, and... Uh, what happened in that moment <clears throat> is the, the, the chewed up broccoli mixed with the saliva, mixed with the gas from his burp, formed um, what, what we now call a broccoli bubble. And this bubble began to protrude out of my son's mouth. It was a green bubble. And it, I was sitting right next to him, so I was like right in front of his face, and so I'm looking at it, and I can see there's little specks of broccoli in the bubble, and all of us around the table are just sit, like sitting in silence looking and watching this bubble grow and grow. And, and I look at my son's face, and he is like, has this look on his face like, what's happening to me? You know? <laughs> and, uh, and we're sitting there wondering, how big is this bubble going to get? And I swear, it got to be like this big. And, uh, and the bubble pops. It reaches its peak, and it pops, and my son just like looks at me and goes, and just throws up into the cup that I gave him to wash it down with. And the best part of the story to me, my father, who I was trying to impress, was just absolutely disgusted and just goes, oh my gosh. <laughs> so that story is what we now call in our family the broccoli bubble story, but... Uh, you know, it's just a vivid memory in my mind, and it's, it's actually a perfect, in my mind, a perfect analogy for what conflict looks like a lot of times, where, you know, it starts really with something very small, like, eat your broccoli. I don't want to eat my broccoli. And then it blows up into this horrible, disgusting, <laughs> broccoli bubble mess of a situation. And that's why we're talking about conflict in this series, because, you know, conflict is something that we experience in every relationship of our life. It's something that we can't avoid. It's something that's not going to go away. And so that's why this series, we're not talking about how to eliminate conflict in our lives because that's not possible, right? We're, we're always going to have conflict. What we're, what we're talking about is how do we fight right? How do we handle the conflict in our life in a healthy way? How do we resolve conflict? Because if we can get good at it, if we can get good at resolving conflict, then our relationships are going to be better. Our lives are going to be happier. But the main thing, in my opinion, the main thing that keeps us from being able to resolve conflict is, the, is, is really our natural tendency when we, when we first get into a disagreement or a fight or a conflict, and that is to look at the other person, right? 
when, when, when those feelings of disagreement or fighting rise up, we, we, we tend to blame someone else. We tend to say, well, if, if they wouldn't have, then I wouldn't need to, or all I said was, and they just reacted, or, you know, they're just a really difficult person to get along with. You know, we, we, we tend to, to blame. Really, when, when feelings of conflict arise, we tend to use this, a magnifying glass. We tend to pick up a magnifying glass and start trying, you know, what do we do with a magnifying glass? We try to find things. We try, we try, to, we try to find flaws. And so we, we try to look at someone and say, oh, look, there's one. There's a flaw. There's an issue. See? See? It's them. It's their issue. It's their, it's their fault. It's, you know, if we can, my, my kids, when they have fights and we try, to, we try to break up their fights, I have three boys, so there's lots of fights, um, and we try to come and, and understand what they're fighting about, you know, it's just a constant blame session, right? Well, he did this. Well, I wouldn't have done that if you didn't do this. Well, I wouldn't have done that if you didn't do this. And they just escalate the blame, and it's, it's this sort of feeling like, well, if I can pin it, then I can win it, right? If I can pin it on somebody else, if I can point out the issue that they have, then I'm off the hook. You know, I don't have to take responsibility for the situation. And this is something we see on a macro scale, on a huge scale when it comes to our government, right? We had our 2020 election and, you know, politicians are notorious for not wanting to own responsibility or own blame. You know, it's constantly the other candidate's fault or the other political party's fault. And what happens in our government is the same thing that happens in our personal relationships when it comes to conflict, when we handle it that way, and that's gridlock, right? It's turmoil. It's, it's this stuck situation that just doesn't ever seem to move forward or resolve. Because nobody ever blamed their way to resolving conflict. Nobody wins when we play the blame game. It's just an escalation of blame one after the other. You know, you know how you feel when someone blames you. you. You don't feel like resolving something, right? You feel like, well, who do you think you are? No, it's, you, you've got the issue. And as long as we continue to play this blame game in our marriages, in our family, family relationships, in our friendships, in our workplaces, we're going to have the same conflicts over and over and over again, and we're never going to really fully learn how to resolve the conflict in our life. You know, we, we probably all know people who, or maybe, maybe you're someone who, you know, just moves from job to job to job or relationship to relationship to relationship, even city to city to city, or maybe experiences the same conflict in situation after situation after situation because it's always their fault, right? It's never my fault. But there's one common denominator <clears throat> in all of our conflicts. It's me, it's us. And so really what the, the, the big idea, <clears throat> excuse me, that we're, that we're talking about today is that in order to fight right, you and I must first look in the mirror. In order to fight right, we need to put this down Stop looking at the other person, and we need to pick this up. Hopefully I don't blind anybody in here with this. <laughs> We've got, if we're going to fight right, we must first look in the mirror. Now, <clears throat> I just lost some of you because you're, you're already thinking, well, you don't know what he, what he did to me. You don't know what he said to me. You don't know how she treats me. You don't know how difficult it is with this person. You don't know, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried to work this out, and you just don't understand who I've got to deal with. Because we're so conditioned 
to wanting to blame the other person. Or even if we feel like we own some of the blame in the situation, we're so conditioned to thinking, well, they have more of the blame. Like their blame is greater than mine. And that might be true. And you might be right. But we have all seen too many relationships stay in a place of brokenness and of conflict because both sides are waiting for the other side to go first, right? Somebody's got to go first. Somebody's got to break the cycle. To fight right, we must first look in the mirror. Now, I want to address something that Matt addressed last week, which is really important here. We are not talking about situations where you're experiencing abuse. If you are being abused, that is not your fault. I am not telling you you need to look in the mirror. Uh, in, in, in reality, uh, if you're being abused, you should not try to reconcile that relationship until whoever is abusing you stops abusing you, asks for forgiveness, and gets professional help. And even in that situation, it might not be wise to pursue that relationship. But what we're talking about today, and what we're talking about in the series, is resolving everyday conflict. And to resolve everyday conflict, we must first look in the mirror. James, the brother of Jesus, and uh, the writer of uh, what we now call the book of James in the Bible, says it this way. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Well, that's a dumb question, James. Have you never been in a relationship? It's them. Like, do you not know how difficult some people are to, to, to handle conflict with or to be in a relationship with? They're, they're inconsiderate. They're lazy. They're mean. They're selfish. Well, James has a different response. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. James says, why does conflict arise in your life? It's because of unmet desires that you have in you and that I have in me. Matt gave us this definition last week for conflict of uh, conflict is tension between two or more people resulting from unmet expectations, desires, or wants. And that first word in there, tension, is really important because, you know, when we think about, some of us think about conflict and we think, well, I don't really have that much, I don't really have that many arguments with people. I don't really have that much conflict in my life. I'm a pretty easygoing person. But the reality is we're not just talking about arguments here. We're not just talking about fights above the surface because there's all kinds of conflict that goes on under the surface, right, inside of us. And that conflict definitely affects how we treat people and that conflict definitely affects the relationships that we're in. So tension between two or more people resulting from unmet expectations, desires, or wants. Whose unmet expectations, desires, or wants? Yours. Mine. James couldn't be clearer here. You could not be clearer here. You and I have desires, have cravings, have longings that are deep inside of us. And we look to other people in our lives to help meet these cravings, to help meet these desires. Things like affirmation, respect, attention, pleasure, joy, fulfillment, significance. We want an orderly home. We want an enjoyable workplace. We want a life filled with fun and memories. And when those cravings are unmet by them or when they, they get in the way of us experiencing what we want or what we desire, that spark of conflict that flame of conflict is sparked within us. James says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, 
You deeply want something that you lack or, or maybe something that somebody else has that you see in somebody else's life. But you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. See, James is getting to the heart of the conflict, and we must too. If we're going to fight right, we've really got to dig deep into the why behind what we do, into the, the reason that inside of us that causes us to react or to spark conflict in our relationships. So for me, I know uh, with my kids, like, I, uh, as a parent, like, I, I I, get, I flare up when I get the sense that my kids are not being respectful to me or to my wife or really to any authority figure in their life, um, which is a good thing, right? I mean, kids should respect authority. But what I've realized is that there's something else going on inside of me that's not a good thing because uh, I, 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 I know that there's many, many times where um, I have one son who I won't, I won't mention his name, but he's my only teenage son and his name rhymes with Bo. Um, <laughs> You know, he's a teenager, so sometimes, you know, the tone of voice and stuff like that, I can kind of perceive it as disrespect, and I will just unleash hell <laughs> on him when, when I get the sense that he's being disrespectful. And my wife's pulled me aside several times after the fact and said, yeah, he wasn't being, he wasn't trying to be disrespectful there. Um, and so what I've realized over and over and over again, that I have this tendency to just flare up and cause unnecessary conflict with my son because of something that I perceive that's happening that's, not really not, uh, that's really not happening. And so I realize there's something inside of me that, is, that, that I've got to deal with that is sparking unnecessary conflict with my son. So we have to start by being real about what these unmet desires, unmet expectations, unmet wants really and truly are in our hearts. And there's a word that the Bible uses, uh, the writers of Scripture use uh, a lot throughout Scripture, and it seems like this, this really terrible thing. And, and the reality is what we're talking about here, our unmet desires, our unmet expectations, our unmet wants are actually idols. They're idols. They're things that we substitute for God or things that we worship in place of God. Idols are anything other than God that we trust to make us happy, to make us secure. They're things other than God that we set our hearts on. We know we have to have these things, a promotion, good kids, a fit body, a perfect home, a perfect lifestyle, the things that we let rule us, you know, the things that we will, will sacrifice other things for. You know, we might sacrifice time with our family in order to pursue our career. Idols are anything that we trust or fear or serve other than God. You know, some of us might trust money. We might trust our finances or our financial plan. Some of us might fear the loss of health. And so health becomes an idol. Some, common, some other common idols include peace and quiet, obedient children, respect from coworkers, financial security, a good reputation, being seen as attractive, love and affection, significance. And these are not bad things, right? None of those things are, are inherently bad. But when we desire anything above all else, when we elevate anything above even God himself in terms of our desire and our affection and our pursuit and our worship, that's when those things become idols in our lives. And as we look at how an idol works, it's easy to see how these unmet desires, how these idols can be toxic and corrosive in our relationships and cause conflict and just be sort of this downward spiral in our relationships. 
So here's kind of an overview of, of how idols work, how these unmet desires and expectations work in our hearts and in our lives. You know, every idol starts with a desire. I'd really like to have whatever, a good spouse, a loving spouse, a job that's not too stressful, good grades, success in sports. And again, those are not bad things. Those are good things. The problem is when a desire becomes a demand, when it becomes something that I must have, I need this. It becomes essential to our happiness, and we have to have it. And, there, and, and inevitably, we don't get it, right? We, we, we don't get everything we want. James said earlier, you, you want, but you cannot have, and so you, you fight. Inevitably, we don't get what we want, and those demands turn into disappointment. And this is where we really turn from looking at ourselves to looking at the other person. You did not give me my desire. You kept me from getting what I want. That demand for something can often lead to disappointment in the other people in our relation, in our lives who are not giving us what we want. The reality is much of our disappointment in relationships is not because people have actually wronged us, but it's because they have failed to give us what we expected from them. They failed to give us what we wanted and what we felt like they should fulfill in us. And then it gets really ugly because disappointment turns to judgment. Because you did not give me my desires, because you didn't fulfill this need in me, you are selfish. You are lazy. You are disrespectful. You are mean. You don't care. You don't care about our relationship. My boss never liked me. That teacher is just mean. You know, that disappointment turns to judgment and we start... We start looking at them, right? You've got the issues. You're broken. And then finally, the, the last stage of, of kind of how these idols work is punishment. Because you didn't, I will, whatever. I will, I will use angry words. I will yell at you. I will gossip about you to other people. Or the ever famous, I will give you the cold shoulder. This is a total side note. Do you ever notice how people, you can, tell by someone, you can tell when someone's really mad because they're extra polite? Excuse me? <laughs> I beg your pardon? Would you help me please? Thank you. Right? That's when you can tell something's going on here. Yeah, it's, they're, they're, you know, the cold shoulder. But we'll, we, have, we all have different ways that we punish each other for not giving us what we want or what we desire in a relationship. So you can see how these unmet desires and expectations and wants can just very quickly cause conflict within us and then conf or, uh, uh, frustration or whatever within us and then conflict in our relationships. Now, some of you may be thinking, oh man, this is good. I wish he was here to hear this. Or you know what, I'm gonna send this to her. She needs to hear this. Or I know what, I know what his idol is. Oh, whew. I have got his idol figured out and already we're picking up the magnifying glass. We're, we're, already thinking, we're already looking at the other person, but we've got, we've got to put it down because once again, no one ever blames their way to resolving conflict. This is not about them. This is about you and me. Uh, several years ago, my wife and I were, were helping a married couple that was struggling with their marriage and um, going into the conversation, you know, the, the wife had really asked us, hey, would you come talk to us? Like my husband, you know, I don't, you know he's, got, he's got different things that he's doing that are really hurting our marriage and we'd love someone to talk to us and, and kind of help get through to him. And so we sat down 
had a conversation, you know, talked with the things that she brought up about her husband, and he owned some of them, some of them he struggled with, but some of the things he just, he really owned and said, yeah, yeah, that's my issue. And then we, we turned to her and we said, okay, well, what about, what about you? What, what do you feel like is your contribution? What are the, some of the things that you're, you know, doing to help contribute to your marital problems? And I'll never forget her response because she goes, I hon- she said, I honestly don't think I'm doing anything wrong. And it was in that moment that I was like, okay, well, I think actually you might have some bigger issues than I realized. And you might have some bigger issues than you realize that are contributing to these issues in your marriage. And that may be some of you here today where you struggle to look at yourself. You struggle to be honest and real about the issues that you have. But if you don't get real about the issues in your own heart and the issues in your own life, you will keep having the same conflicts over and over and you'll never fully, truly resolve conflict in your life. So what do we do with these idols? What do we do with these things that that rule our hearts and spark conflict in our relationships? Well, Jesus actually tells us pretty plainly in Matthew 7. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Right, what do you need to see a speck of sawdust? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Why do you look at the issue in them and pay no attention to the huge issue that you have? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Is there anything worse than being, anything worse to be accused of than a hypocrite? I think it's universally, nobody wants to be that, right? First, Say that word with me. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, this is a super convicting passage, and there's a lot of different applications that we can take from this, but really what we're we're applying from it today is that when it comes to fighting right, when it comes to resolving conflict, you and I have to kill our idols first. Before we can worry about their issues, before we can worry about the the deficiencies in their character, the things that we think that they have wrong with them, we have got to address our issues. We have got to address our idols. We have got to identify and address the unmet expectations and desires that we have in our hearts. We'll all do that if they do. No, Jesus says, you go first. You go first. Well, actually, they're the one with the plank. I'm more the speck. You know, uh, they've probably got more of the blame for this situation. Maybe I have a little bit, but theirs is bigger. It doesn't really matter, honestly. And here's here's a quote to remember when it comes to this. Even if you're only 2% of the problem, you need to own 100% of your 2%. Even if you're only 2% of the problem, even, even if you have a small part of this conflict, own it. Own it. Own 100% of your 2%. So how do you go first? How do you go first and kill these idols that rule your heart and and cause conflict in your relationship? Well, here's, here's three steps on how you kill an idol. The first one is to identify the idol. Identify it, right? Most of our conflicts happen above the surface. Like we, and we want to stay above the surface when it comes to conflict. But if we're going to resolve it, if we're going to fight right, we've got to get to the root of why we feel the way we feel, why we initiate conflict sometimes, why we react the way that we do. 
And here's some, some x-ray questions to examine your heart and identify your idols. And I, there's a lot of questions that are going to come up here. Um, I'd encourage you to take out your phone and take a picture of them. Uh, you're not going to remember all these, but these are basically some ways that uh, will help you examine what's going on in your heart. So the first one is, is all about our fears. What do you fear? What do you tend to worry about? What do you believe would bring you the greatest pain or misery? Is it loneliness? Is it loss of health? Is it financial insecurity? What do you fear? Maybe that's an idol. What do you want most? What do you believe, man, if I had that, that would bring me the greatest amount of pleasure, happiness, and delight. Things would be great if I had that. What makes you, or what do you want most? That might be an idol. This is a great question. What would you sin to obtain if you didn't have it? Or what would you sin if that was denied? What would you sin to get if that was denied? Maybe that's an idol. Have you ever stretched the truth, otherwise known as lying, and arguing for your desire, or arguing against someone else's desire? And as, as we go through these questions and as I talk about idols, it may be very easy for you. You may, you may be very clear on what your idol is. Like it might, it might have come to your mind right away. Others of you, you might have to take these questions home and, and kind of think through them and process through them to really uncover what the idols and unmet desires are in your heart. Others of you still may need some help in uncovering what your idol is. Maybe you've got some, some pain and some really tough stuff from your past that you need help to uncover the idols in your heart. Maybe you need some counseling. Maybe you need to go through our Fresh Start program here at Relevant. But here's one thing I guarantee, and I've said this a couple times already, but I'll keep saying it. You will keep having the same conflicts in your life if you do not uncover the idols in your heart. So the first, identify the idol. The second, confess the idol. Confess it to God and confess it to them. For me, I realize over the last year or so, I've realized that I have an idol of people's affirmation, right? People's respect, people's you know, recognition of contributions that I that I make to my job or, or in my life. Like I, I have a, an idol of, of needing affirmation from people. And so for me, what this looks like is, I've already identified that, but for me, what this looks like in confessing it to God is saying, God, I confess that I have prioritized human affirmation over you and over how you see me. God, forgive me. I confess that idol to you. And what that looks like in confessing the idol to them, whoever else them is that I'm in a conflict with, is when I see this idol rear its ugly head, when I see it cause and just flare up anger in me or frustration in me, instead of saying, man, I'm sorry I talked to you that way, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that. Instead of stopping there, going a little further and saying, I shouldn't have talked to you that way, I, I've realized I just have this this desire for people's affirmation and people's respect, and I, when I feel like that's being starved or when I feel like that's being poked or I feel like I'm, I'm not getting that, that's, it causes me to react that way. It causes me to react in a bad way. I'm sorry. And that's how we confess the idol. We verbally talk about it. That's how we look in the mirror and confess our idols. And that's a humbling and scary thing to do. As I say that, I'm, some of you are like, ooh, geez, no. Um, that's a humbling thing to do. And it's scary because, you know, well, what if they use that as ammunition? What if they use my confession as ammunition against me later? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they'll do that. Maybe they won't. But the point is, somebody needs to break the cycle. Somebody needs to go first. And more often than not, if you confess, if you, if you admit blame, you're going to 
trigger the same response from the other person that you're in conflict with. Not all the time, but more often than not, people will tend to treat you the way that you treat them. A few months ago, I had a little, Pastor Jimmy and I had a little spat, and uh, nothing big, but just a little office workplace tiff. And uh, about an hour after, after we had it, you know, we kind of went our separate ways and for a little bit, and then about an hour after we, we had that fight, you know, he, he kind of sits behind me, so he rolled his chair up to me, and he goes, I'm sorry I reacted that way. That, that was probably not a great way to react. And then, of course, I responded with, good, I'm glad you see that. <laughs> no, no, I, I responded with, yeah, man, I, I, I know. I, I probably triggered that in you. Some of the words I was using were not super sensitive, so, you know, I'm sorry, too. You know, and so that's how conflict was resolved. Now, that's a very small example, but my point is, when you go first, it tends to trigger the same response in somebody else. And if, just a side note there, if, you're, if, you're, if someone is confessing to you, if someone is saying something to you, don't be that jerk that's like, hmm, thank you, I'm glad you see that. You know, like, reciprocate. Know that you have some, some, something to, to own in the conflict. Own your stuff. So identify the idol, confess the idol, and then replace the idol. You can replace the idol by proclaiming something like this each and every day. Saying, I desire... What? I desire whatever your idol is, whatever your, your unmet want is, respect, affection, significance, control, comfort, security. For me, affirmation. I desire people's affirmation. God, today, I am choosing to find that in you and you alone. And here's why we need to replace the idol, because we are idol-making factories. And if we just remove an idol, we remove a desire, we deal with something in our life, but we don't replace that with God we're just going to find another idol to replace it with. That's what we do. We make idols. We worship things. We find things to pursue and desire outside of God. And so we've got to replace a little love for whatever this idol is, for whatever we think this idol is going to give us in our life, with a big love of God, knowing that God is the only one who can give us the desires of our heart. God is the only one who can truly fulfill us. And the more that we grow in our love for God and our worship for God and our adoration for God, the more we drive out these unhealthy, toxic, hollow idols that we have in our hearts. What you feed thrives, and what you starve dives. dies. So we've got to feed our love and our worship of God so that that thrives and starves out our idols. And the more we do this, the more we're going to be transformed into people who can fight right, because we're not gonna always be looking to that other person in our life to try to give us something that we need. We're not gonna always be trying to get something from somebody else, to get that respect, to get that affection, to get that affirmation from somebody else. So, as we kind of land this plane, here's a question for you to ask yourself today. In a conflict, in a conflict maybe that you're experiencing right now or that you've experienced in the past, who do you typically focus on and why? Who do you typically focus on and why? Do you pick this up? Is this your first reaction? To try to find the blame in them? Or do you look in the mirror? Do you look in the mirror first and deal with your stuff first? See, conflict isn't a one-time problem that we're going to solve. We're not going to walk out of here, apply this, and 
be good with conflict for the rest of our life. No, it's a lifelong tension that we have to live in and that we have to manage. So let's get good at picking up the mirror, at dealing with our idols, at dealing with our unmet desires, and fighting right and resolving conflict. If we don't, honestly, if we, don't, if we can't apply, we can't look at ourselves, we, don't, we choose not to look at ourselves first, if we don't apply this, really what we talk about for the rest of the series is not gonna be helpful for you. It's gonna be like putting a Band-Aid on an infection. It's not gonna be helpful because we have got to deal with our stuff first. We've gotta get down deep and heal the infection inside of us if we're ever gonna have hope to, to resolve conflict and to fight right. Changing relationships, changing jobs, changing churches, changing cities is never gonna heal your conflict if you don't deal with it internally first because as I said before, there is one common denominator in all your conflict, and it's you, and it's me. But if we can learn to fight right, if we can pick up the mirror and get real about our issues, get real about ourselves, not only will our relationships thrive, but we're gonna be able to show a watching world who desperately needs somebody to show them how to deal with conflict, who desperately needs to see what healthy conflict resolution looks like. And we're gonna show the next generation of our kids and our grandkids how to deal with conflict if we can go first. We can show them how to fight right and we can show them how to love each other well. Pray with me. God, this is really challenging, this is really hard. It is easy for me to get up here and talk about it. It is way harder for me to apply it in my own life because we are prideful creatures we don't want to own things that we have inside of us sometimes. So God, I pray that you would do a work in us, that as we leave here today, that you would allow us to see the idols, the unmet desires in our hearts. And God, that you would come crowd out those idols with your love. God, help us apply this. Help us walk forward today as we, as we move forward into the rest of this series. God, help us always be reminded to look in the mirror first. God, I thank you for your love and, and how you showed us the way by going first and loving us first, God. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.